0: you have a Bible, you can take it and turn to Matthew 5. Matthew 5, as we are in our fifth sermon through this series and our fourth beatitude. Um, and at the core of today's beatitude are the very visceral and sort of innate natural feelings of hunger and thirst. And because hunger and thirst are so much a part of us, I hardly really even need to explain what Jesus is trying to uh, evoke in us by using those words and those ideas of hungering and thirsting. Almost from the moment that we are born, we experience what it is to have a longing to be filled with food and a longing to be refreshed by water. As we grow and mature, we continue to hunger and thirst, but our hunger and thirst moves beyond a desire simply for nourishment to hungering and thirsting for certain things, the certain kind of foods that we really want. And there's certain times that we really want those foods. Maybe on a, a summer day early in, in June, at the end of the day, you just want a, a burger off the grill and a, and a Coke because that's what you're hungering and, and thirsting for. In the morning, maybe you wake up and you want a, a cup of coffee And if you're lucky, a donut to go with it. Uh, Maybe in the middle of the night, you want a piece of chocolate cake. And of course, with chocolate cake, you have to have cold milk, because that's what you have to have with chocolate cake. Uh, In the middle of summer, after working in the yard, you just want water. But if you play in the snow, and I still like to play in the snow sometimes, what do you want when you come inside? hot chocolate. There's nothing else to drink after you've played outside in the snow. That's the only thing that will satisfy your thirst. Hunger and thirst and desires for different things. These are things that we, we all know. And we all know that even though most of us, by God's grace, have never had extreme hunger pains or felt dehydration or not been able to find food, as maybe some of the people Jesus was speaking to here had felt. It was much more of a culture built on uh, on agriculture. And when there were droughts, people knew what it meant to be close to starvation. But even so, we know what it means to be hungry. We know what it means to be thirsty. We know the, the cravings and the desires of our, of our stomachs and of our taste buds. And along with that, we know what it feels like to be satisfied, to have our hunger satisfied, to have our thirst quenched, to be filled and even to be full. Jesus here in this fourth beatitude taps into these feelings that make up our our days, feelings of hunger and thirst and satisfaction. And he describes for us what it is that those people who are members of God's kingdom truly desire. If our character is built on being members of God's kingdom, there are things that we are going to long for and hunger for. And he promises that if we desire the right thing, then we will be satisfied. If we pause and think about it, we realize that we're all so hungry and we're all so thirsty. And it's not food or water that we really want, is it? We we mask our deep longings uh, through eating and drinking because we're all longing for satisfaction. Our physical appetites, sometimes they grumble and they growl. Maybe that's going to happen to one of you. Right here, that's the worst, when your stomach starts growling in the middle of church. But we've all felt that. And it sounds so loud, but it's nothing compared to the deep longings of our soul. The things that are crying out to be satisfied. And here in this beatitude, Jesus is describing for us what the, the happy and the flourishing life is. What the, what the satisfied life is. And we all know that the hunger that he's really speaking of. Because it's a, a hunger and it's a thirst that's found in every human heart. The book of Ecclesiastes describes Solomon's search for happiness and for satisfaction. And he delineates all of the places that he vainly searched for fulfillment. He says in Ecclesiastes 3.11 of many verses that we could quote, he says, he, God, has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Solomon says there's this eternal longing in our hearts, one that God only fully knows, and therefore God alone can satisfy. Augustine felt that same kind of longing in his soul and he concluded that our hearts will continue to be restless until they rest in God. C.S. Lewis wrote in Mere Christianity, if I find in myself desires, which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. Christian philosophers, of course, aren't the only ones who have felt and described this longing and this hunger. I think when I hear the word satisfaction, I I think about Mick Jagger and the Rolling Stones. And they sang, no matter how hard I try and I try and I try, I can't, and it's bad grammar, but it's a good rock song. I can't get no satisfaction. And there was something that he was looking for, he just could not get at the Broadway musical, Hamilton, Alexander Hamilton sort of is described as never taking his foot off the gas pedal, but, but working and writing and fighting tirelessly because according to him and according to everyone around him, he was never satisfied. He could never be satisfied. But what if Jesus could give you a satisfaction guarantee, even better than Aldi's? Aldi has that twice as nice. If you don't like it, you can bring it back. They'll give you a new product and they'll give you your money back. What if Jesus could give us an even better satisfaction guarantee, an assurance that if you're hungering and thirsting for righteousness, you will be satisfied? Jesus tells us this afternoon that we can be certain that if our hearts are seeking for the righteousness only God can give, then our satisfaction is guaranteed. That's our big idea. If our hearts are seeking for the righteousness only God can give, then our satisfaction is guaranteed. We'll focus on understanding what the righteousness is and what that satisfaction means. If our hearts are seeking for the righteousness only God can give, then our satisfaction is guaranteed. And so as we prepare to think about righteousness and satisfaction, let's read Matthew 5, 1 through 12, together. Again, we're seeking to memorize this together. And so let's read it out loud. Matthew 5, 1 through 12. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, Matthew 5, 6 is our text for today. Let's read this again. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. What a beautiful promise. As we continue to meditate on and memorize these descriptions of the character of the people in God's kingdom that Jesus has given, a pattern, a few patterns are starting to emerge. At least, hopefully, you're starting to see some of these. We said at the beginning that there are nine Beatitudes. Some people would say there's only eight, but I think this ninth one is a restatement, an amplification of the eighth, kind of like when the Proverbs says, there are three things that amaze me, four that I do not understand, with an emphasis on that fourth one. And so we see that structure. We can also see a bookend structure between the first and the eighth statements in which they both end with that assurance for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So from the beginning to the end, Jesus here and then throughout the sermon is speaking about the kind of people that make up his kingdom. The kind of people who are and who are becoming and the kind of people we are and the kind of people we are becoming if Jesus is our king. The kind of, of people who have and belong to the kingdom of heaven. So we have that bookend for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then another note on this structure seems to be the presence of that word righteousness in the fourth and in the eighth Beatitudes. So that would be in verse 6 and in verse 10. So in today's statement, Jesus speaks about those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then in the eighth Beatitude, he talks about those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. And so we go from longing for righteousness to then being persecuted for righteousness righteousness sake. Slowly, I think what I'm seeing, and maybe you're seeing it too, is a progression in the the first four Beatitudes, and then a different kind of progression in those second four, that second set of, of, of four Beatitudes. And they all are leading towards righteousness in some way, which is a key theme of the Sermon on the Mount as a whole. These first four seem to focus on our inward desires and and an inward righteousness on our hearts and on our our affections. And then we begin to see in the next four a righteousness that's in action as it interacts with with other people. In fact, we're gonna see later on that the righteousness spoken of in verse six seems to be defined in part by the description of the blessed sermon, uh, the blessed person that's in verses seven through nine. So righteousness has to do with mercy. It has to do with purity of heart and it has to do with peacemaking. That's part of what righteousness looks like. But think first about this progression from the of the these first four descriptions of the person who flourishes in God's kingdom. We begin with those who are poor in spirit, people who recognize their spiritual poverty and bankruptcy. I think there's a sense in which we could say every person is poor in spirit because the reality of our sinfulness is that we all have sinned and we all have fallen short of the glory of God, but here the blessedness is for the one who acknowledges and embraces and accepts the reality of that spiritual bankruptcy. So from recognizing our spiritual poverty, the one who is happy in God's kingdom is then the one who responds with grief and mourning over that sin and over all sin. As Trevor said in his sermon, happy are the sad. Happy are those who are broken by their sin and weep over the destruction and have it caused by their sin and the sin in the world. And so out of this, this poverty and, and, and mourning, we become meek. We, we, we gain this true, humble view of ourselves before God and before others. We're not puffed up with self-centeredness. We are laid low with self-forgetfulness. And we respond to others with, pati- with a patient and a gentle spirit. And each of these are leading us towards faith and trust and dependence on the Lord. Trust that though broken, we might become members of God's kingdom. That though heartbroken by our sin, we can be comforted. That though humbled by who we truly are, we are actually able to become inheritors of, an e- of eternal rewards. We are, we are filled with faith. And the more we take this, this journey of the first three, ad- three Beatitudes, I think the hungrier we get. The more we see how dry we are, the more we long to be satisfied with living water. And that's where we've been brought to here. How strange it is to say that the happy and the flourishing and the blessed ones in God's kingdom are those that are hungry and thirsty. Uh, But in that irony, I think there's actually hope because, and I just wanna start with thinking about this this could be our first point before we talk about what righteousness is and what it means to be satisfied. But the hope I see is that God has always delighted to satisfy those who are hungry and thirsty. As we look at scripture, we find that God has always delighted to satisfy people that are hungry and thirsty. I thought about the stories of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and much of that is about God providing for them in all circumstances. He gives them wells in the midst of drought. He gives them grain in the midst of famine. From the beginning of the Exodus, God sustains His people with bread from heaven and water from the rock. The psalmist picks up on this idea of hungering and thirsting many times. Psalm thirty-four ten declares, "The young lions do not lack, and the, the young lions lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord lack no good thing." Psalm 107, four through nine gives us this picture. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul, he fills with good things. Jesus isn't saying something that hasn't said, been said before, at least in part. God satisfies the hungry. When Mary sang her song about, about how God was sending the Messiah to be born through her, he, she said in Luke 1.53, He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich He has sent away empty. And then you look at the life of Jesus And Jesus feeds thousands of people at a time and declares that he's the Messiah. He's the one that provides for us. He's the one that fills us. John, in John 4 and John 6, Jesus announces that he's the living water that eternally satisfies our thirst and he's the bread of life that will give us life forevermore. In fact, no one is satisfied apart from Jesus. Paul, even thinking about Old Testament saints and even talking about the water that came out of the rock in the wilderness that satisfied the Israelites, he said, even that water and even that satisfaction found its, its source in Christ. Listen to these words of 1 Corinthians 10. Paul said, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed him, followed them. And the rock was Christ." God is always the one who has satisfied us, and Jesus satisfies our, our longings. God delights to satisfy those who are hungry and thirsty, and He ultimately satisfies us in Christ. But I've kind of, got ahead of gotten ahead of myself a little bit. We're kind of driving towards this, but it's good to start and end with Jesus, isn't it? We should ask, what are we supposed to be hungry and thirsty for? Because if I'm hungry and thirsting for the wrong things, then I'm never going to be satisfied. If I'm hungry for pizza and I go to a great taco truck, my hankering for pizza is not going to be met because they're not going to have any pizza there. So what are we hungry for? I find it interesting it doesn't say happy are those who hunger and thirst for happiness because then they will be happy. If you want to be happy, you don't actually search for happiness. Rather, Jesus guarantees that his children will be satisfied and flourishing if they hunger and thirst for righteousness. So let's think about under the next main heading. We could just think, you could just put righteousness, or you could say, we're, we are to hunger and thirst for righteousness. But what is meant by righteousness? John Stott talks about three different kinds of righteousness. I think it's helpful to think about all three of these. Uh, they, they are legal, moral, and social righteousness. Legal, moral, and social righteousness, or even you could use the word justice. It's the same kind of root word. So think first about this legal righteousness. At its core, I think this is the message of of justification. As with the other Beatitudes, we hear the message of the gospel present in this this statement. And we can see how Jesus um, expanded the initial words of the kingdom that he announced when he said, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Remember this trail that's been laid out by the, the three previous Beatitudes. If, we're, if we stay on that path, then when we get to the end, we don't end up at a place where we're looking to find a righteousness in ourselves, right? If we know our poverty of spirit, we know that a righteousness that finds its source in us is not possible. Rather, we're hungering for a righteousness that only Jesus can give. A righteousness that's found in the life of Jesus, his perfection, and his payment for our lack of righteousness. If we are thirsting for that kind of righteousness, Jesus will satisfy our souls and he will make us right with the Father. To that end, this is how um, one commentator, James Montgomery Boyce, writes the fourth beatitude. He says it like this, Oh, happy is the man or woman who knows enough not to be satisfied with any partial goodness with which to please God, who is not satisfied with any human goodness. He alone is happy who seeks for the divine righteousness because God will certainly provide it. If God has humbled you and shown you your spiritual poverty and caused you to mourn over your sin, then know that he has made a way to satisfy this longing for a righteousness that can make you right before God. And he doesn't call us to work for it, but he calls us to trust him, to cast ourselves on the righteousness of Jesus who lived and died and rose again to satisfy God's justice and then to satisfy the deepest longings of our souls. And then springing from this new life that we have through faith in Christ, this new righteousness as Paul calls it, an alien righteousness, an, a righteousness outside of us, from that we are capable of seeking after moral and social righteousness. Not only are we capable, but it's our desire. Our appetites have changed. Before, we didn't hunger and thirst for righteousness. Apart from Christ, none of us do. But now, that's all we want. And anything else, any other diet, just sort of makes us sick, we're like a child who begins to taste and enjoy new flavors. What we hunger for changes when we become children of God. We want something deep and lasting and it's righteousness. We're not ruled by our natural earthly hunger pains, but we become more like Christ. And if we become more like Christ, then we say with him, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus could ignore physical food because he longed to do what the Father called him to do. And because of Christ in us, we're enabled to, and we can desire to grow in Christ-like righteousness. It's, it's this moral and social righteousness that I think is what the sermon ultimately wants us to seek after, because this is a, a sermon that's focused on members of God's kingdom. And, and it's also these two kinds of righteousness that seem to be described in the rest of the sermon. Right at the very beginning in in Matthew 5.20, Jesus says, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Part of that is to drive us obviously to Christ, but also the exceeding righteousness has less to do with with quantity. That's what the Pharisees were concerned about. How much can I do? But it's more about quality. It's about not focusing on outward duty, but allowing our actions to spring from a changed heart and allowing our righteousness to be a, a heart righteousness more than adherence to laws, a love for God and a love for others that's modeled by Jesus. As I read through this, I just kept asking myself, is that what I'm hungering and thirsting for? Is that what we really want? Do you want a, a moral and a, and a social righteousness that Christ is, is forming in us through the righteousness he has given us by Christ. Is that what we desire? What is this moral righteousness? This is where my mind immediately goes when I read this beatitude that I'm to be hungering and thirsting after moral purity. That can be healthy that that's where my mind goes, but it can also miss some of the focus of what I'm... It could make me um, not think about what Christ has has done for me on... on, on through his death and resurrection, that he is the one that has given me his righteousness. But it can also make me unaware that there's a righteousness I need to seek in the world as well. But this is part of what it means to hunger and thirst for righteousness, to hunger after a holiness that guards us against the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. A a righteousness that seeks to love the Lord God with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind and all of our strength. Jesus describes this in the sermon when he talks about not not simply not committing adultery, but also of not looking at someone lustfully. There's a deep righteousness that's found in the kind of prayer and fasting that he calls us to. There's a heart that longs for holiness, both before before others, but also when no one is looking, a desire to walk in God's ways, to please him with what we say and do. But that kind of moral righteousness quickly moves into social righteousness, an outward righteousness, because I'm to love my neighbor as myself. And so much of what righteousness is, it has to do with how I treat others that are made in God's image. This is what John Stott says about this social righteousness. He says, it would be a mistake to suppose, however, that the biblical word righteousness means only a right relationship with God on the one hand, and a moral righteousness of character and conduct on the other. For a biblical righteousness is more than a private and personal affair. It includes social righteousness as well. And social righteousness, as we learn from the law and the prophets, is concerned with seeking man's liberation from oppression, together with the promotion of civil rights, justice in the law courts, integrity in business dealings, and honor in home and family affairs. Thus, Christians are committed to hunger for righteousness in the whole human community as something pleasing to a righteous God. We're committed to hunger and thirst for righteousness in the whole human community because that's pleasing to a God of righteousness. Jesus continues to teach in Matthew five to seven that we're to seek, we're to hunger for our righteousness in us that treats others with grace and kindness, that's not angry, that doesn't lie, that turns the other cheek, that goes the extra mile, that loves even our enemies, that quietly gives to the needy, that seeks in all circumstances to do to others what we would have them do to us. We hunger for that kind of righteousness in our lives if we're part of God's kingdom. And we hunger for it in our immediate sphere of influence, and we hunger for it in our world. We speak out against and and we fight against corruption and racism. We seek justice for those who are oppressed and taken advantage of, for the unborn, for those who are bought and sold as slaves, for the homeless. We hunger and thirst for the elimination of physical hunger and thirst in our world. And there's a rightness to these desires, There's a rightness to longing for that kind of righteousness in our world. There's a rightness to sadness and anger at sin in the world and a longing to do what we can to make it right. And that's that's part of who we are as members of God's kingdom. We know that the world is not the way it's supposed to be because of sin and God's image in us and Christ's life forming in us fills us with a longing for righteousness, for things to be made right in us, and in our world. We hunger and we long for that. Here's the amazing thing. If we're longing for that kind of righteousness in ourselves and in our world, Jesus says we will be satisfied. Jesus says we'll get what we're longing for. So what does that mean? What does it mean that we will be satisfied? We're to hunger and thirst after righteousness and we will be satisfied. As with all these promises, I think in the Beatitudes, there's a, and as with God's kingdom in general, there's a, there's a way in which we are satisfied now. And there's a way in which we will be satisfied in the future. There's an already and a not yet to God's kingdom. In the present, we are satisfied as we seek for righteousness because this is what we're made to seek for as God's new creations. God's Spirit is in us, and He has changed our desires so that we can find joy and happiness and flourishing as we walk in the ways of Christ. There's a satisfaction that's found in righteousness. There's a satisfaction in loving others selflessly. There's a satisfaction in turning the other cheek. There's a satisfaction in commitment to our spouse, in kindness towards our enemies, in saying no to sin and growing in holiness in seeking public justice in our city and in our world. We taste this righteousness, and that's what we're made for. And it's all that we want. And until righteousness reigns, we will never be satisfied. But when we taste it, we we taste that satisfaction that God has made us for. And of, of course, we're never fully satisfied in this search for righteousness. We're not as pure and morally upright as we want to be. And unrighteousness still reigns in our world. And so we're looking forward to a day when we will be satisfied. When there will be a final satisfaction. The day when Christ reigns as king over all. And peace and justice and righteousness fill the earth. Hear these words from Revelation 7.16-17 to 17, about that coming day. John writes, They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. All the the pain and the tears and the anguish that comes from the unrighteousness in us and in our world will be over. That's what we're longing for, a satisfaction of our deepest longings that Christ has put in us through the new birth. And that that hope of complete satisfaction, in fact, spurs us on to righteousness in the present. This is what Peter says in 2 Peter 3, 11 to 13. He says, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, speaking about the coming day, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. That's what we're longing for a new heavens and a new earth, not in the sense that just everything is nice and lovely in the way that we want it, and the streets are paved with gold, and we get to eat different kinds of fruit every season. No, there's righteousness. Because the lack of righteousness is what we hate and the, the righteousness that we long for, for everything to be made right, for every tear to be wiped away, for never, never to be any more hungering and thirsting physically or spiritually and emotionally that all things would be made right and there's a righteousness and a rightness to this world. This is what we seek. This is what we're longing for. I've tried to speak to you if you're apart from Christ, and I hope you will hear that you will never be satisfied apart from following Jesus and knowing the righteousness that he has come to bring. But for those of us who are in Christ, those of us who are members of God's kingdom, can I ask you about your appetite? Are you longing for righteousness? Or have you forgotten that seeking after righteousness is the only way you will ever be satisfied. Are you searching for satisfaction in fulfillment somewhere else? In money, sex and power, in entertainment or food or alcohol or drugs, in materialism or technology and social media or vacations. Only seeking God's kingdom and His righteousness comes with a satisfaction guarantee because it's the only thing that our souls really long for. It's the only thing that will satisfy us is the righteousness that only God can give. And so maybe you need to ask God that you would feel a hunger and a thirst for that righteousness again, that you would see the way things are not right in your own soul, or that you would have your eyes open to the way things are not right in the world around you that you would long for our rightness and our righteousness. You can ask God for it. If you're a child of God, God longs to renew that appetite, that hunger and thirst in you. You could also fast. What other great way to think about hungering and thirsting than to take a break from eating and drinking? Or maybe taking a break from something else that you're, running to, to satisfy the deep longings of your soul. And then when those cravings come, you say, God, only you will satisfy the deeping long, deepest longings of my heart. I was made for a different world. Nothing in this world will ever make me eternally happy. I will be restless if I don't rest in you. Let's end by saying that Jesus alone can satisfy us because Jesus is the embodiment of righteousness, isn't he? He's righteousness incarnate. Jesus alone can make us righteous through faith because he alone has fulfilled all righteousness through his perfect life. Jesus alone can give us a desire for moral and social righteousness in ourselves and in our world. Jesus alone can work through us and accomplish any desire for righteousness that we have. Jesus alone can return and reign as king and bring the righteousness and the rightness back to this world that we're all longing for. And Jesus alone can satisfy us because Jesus alone came hungering in his temptation and thirsting on the cross so that he could save our souls. And it's Jesus alone who can offer up his body and his blood and say, take and eat, take and drink and be satisfied forever.